the Australian Defence Magazine podcast. Serving the business of defence. With Grant McHeron. Hi everyone and welcome back to the show. This episode, I'll be chatting with Graham Wallace, Managing Director for Europe at Senatas, about how their recently completed Project Orthos meets the challenges of secured communications today and into the future. Graham, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Grant. Well, let's get straight into the questions. Can you give us a quick overview of your career to date, plus also an overview and history of Senatas? Sure, yeah. My career, really, I've always been... Uh, right from the, from the word go, I suppose, a technical guy. So I came late to the grandiose title of uh, managing director. And my background has always been in electronics, uh, in, in communications and technical roles within within companies, small and large. Uh, so I came to Senatas uh, and to security probably in around the year 2000. So first of all, to security when we were still concerned about something called ISDN. <laughs> the, the younger people in the audience, uh, that was when we, we had bandwidths of 64 kilobits per second and uh, and the internet couldn't handle that. <laughs> uh, so we were securing things like video conferencing was a, was a big issue around then. So a few years later, maybe a decade later, in fact, I... Uh, I started working with Senatas as a partner company, and then later on, they actually employed me. So I've worked with Senatas for about 10 years now. Senatas has produced and developed encryption solutions for over 20 years now. So again, they began in a generation when something called ATM was going to take over the world. Uh, Of course, we all know that that didn't happen, and in fact, it was ethernet and uh and ip networks that that took over the world uh, and soon assessors developed solutions for for those legacy networks for current networks uh, and we've developed what uh, we believe are, are highly secure highly capable systems and solutions for the modern world you've recently completed project orthos and uh, can you tell us what that project is and what made it so special project orthos is a collaboration so we've worked with a South African partner and a Swiss partner to produce a solution which does two significant things. One is it protects uh, operational technology. And by that, I mean it'll, it'll stop the kind of cyber attacks on critical infrastructure that we're seeing all too often across the world at the moment, and obviously notably uh, in Ukraine and other places. They'll also enable us to extend the encryption or the protection envelope. So one of the big problems we have is that operational technology is not designed for the modern world. It is old technology and and it wasn't designed when the internet was a thing. So security is a real concern, but we also want to be able to remote into all these devices and find out how they how they're doing whether there are any performance issues and we can't have it both ways if you don't have suitable protection you cannot allow people to access devices where safety rather than security is the priority so project orthos is giving the ability to have those remote connections and the security as well that we've 
grown to need. Yes. So Orthos and all the, the products within Orthos work in, I think, a unique way. So there's an element of machine learning and artificial intelligence going on here. And obviously, these are uh, very current buzzwords. But what Orthos is doing is learning normative behavior of a network and then sort of baselining that so that if there is any anomalous behavior, then that will be picked up and can be reacted to. Now, that is also something that we can analyze remotely. If we can secure our connectivity to that location, then we can uh, analyze the behaviors remotely. Uh, We can have specialists looking at how the network is performing, whether something is an attack or just a, a change in the way things are operating. It gives us a, the capability of analyzing and responding to the behaviors that we see in, in a particular uh, network connection or on a particular device. So how would this be represented for users? What functions would they get from it? And uh, does it have different modes of operation? Yeah, so uh, the big thing uh, for the user is you get a big old dashboard. And as long as the dashboard is green, then we would say everything is great uh, and you can carry on about your business. If you start to see sort of ambers and reds appear, then those are things you need to start looking at because that represents suspicious or abnormal transactions on the network, so controls and, and so forth. So Orthos operates in three potential modes. Uh, and the first mode is a, a very simple one. It can actually just cut off from any human intervention. So if you have a system that should be running perfectly well on its own and it doesn't need to have human access on a regular basis, then you can just run in that protect mode. But the more interesting modes are are the others, which and the first one of those is mirror mode. So mirror mode does really what it says on the tin. It's mirroring the ordinary network or ordinary racial traffic within the the Orthos environment. Uh, and literally, it is just doing that. But then what you can do, you, you can actually see, as I mentioned, you can see if there are any changes in that network behavior. So an example might be if, if something is being sent repeated commands. For example, you don't send an on, on, off, on, off, on, off. You don't send that command repeatedly. And yet we know that that is something that is used to to break systems and has been using different viruses and so forth for a number of years. So Orthos would detect something like that. And in mirror mode, it would alert you to that change, that suspicious behavior. The third mode is in path mode. And the change there is what you, again, what you might think from the name. So instead of mirroring the network at this point, you are now actually in line. And this is where it gets interesting because now we can prevent any attacks from actually occurring. So anomalous behavior is not only flagged, but it is also prevented from being carried out. Now, these two modes can actually work together as well. So if you are in mirror mode and you are the monitor, the uh, you're sitting in your security operating center and you think, well, this is really something quite serious. You can flip Orthos into in-path mode uh, so that it prevents the attack from being perpetrated. So that's what we have. And 
as I say, by extending the encryption envelope from the target of attack to the secure operating center, it means you're providing that holistic security for your operational technology environment in a way that you haven't really been able to do up until now. Okay, so what kind of platforms are you deploying Orthos onto? Is it is this for uh, engineering systems in a factory or in a production environment, or are you deploying to aircraft, ships, ve- vehicles, things like that? The project Orthos began with a, a piece of work specifically to address shipping military vessels. So we took uh, as a, a task to produce a demonstrator which showed uh, an attack on a ship's propulsion system. So what we were able to do was build a little model of a, a ship's turbine. And you may know that ship's propulsion is is about changing the pitch of the propeller as well as making the engine go faster. So what we were able to do was we were able to show an attack on a system like that using a pipe dream attack. We were able to show a ship's propeller being taken over, being sent commands that reversed the function. So go forward, became go backwards, stop, became full speed. So we were able to show that attack, and then we were able to show that uh, we could protect against that attack. But one of the difficulties that we have globally with uh, operational technology systems is what I alluded to earlier, which is a lot of these systems were designed in an era when there was no internet, when there was no remote security threat. So these are using generally things are called a bus, so profit bus, mod bus, cam bus. They're using all different um, types of uh, control technology, none of which was really designed with the internet in mind, and none of which are compatible with each other. So the nice thing about Orthos is it sits just above that layer of where the buses operate. So we don't actually care what particular device you have. We don't care who manufactured it. We don't care what bus it's using. We can sit above that and create a separate kind of normal encrypted traffic layer in that uh, OT environment. And then from there, we can extend that into the IT environment uh, while maintaining a high level of security across that whole suite. Perhaps the last thing to mention is that in a ship, if we're continuing the ship example, then we have a number of different modes of communication, of different transport. So you might be connected over satellites to a, uh, an auxiliary vessel. That's a point of vulnerability. In ports, you might be connected uh, hardwired into, into the ports network. You've got people on board with mobile phones. You've got lots of different points of attack, Wi-Fi networks and so forth. And because of the way our solution works, we're able to sit with our encryption elements in a place where we don't really care what the final transport is. So this, it, it does really cover all the bases. We're not fussed about the uh, the connectivity particularly. Yeah, so how long does it need to um, to get that feel? Is it you plug it in in a controlled way and within a few minutes it's got it or is it days? Yeah. No, I mean, it obviously depends to some extent on the complexity of the systems. But the way we believe it works best is by you segment the systems that you're working on. So obviously, if you've said, right, one device, here's an aircraft carrier, 
we like you miss one device to secure all of the systems on on the aircraft carrier. That's gonna that, that's just a ridiculous uh, example, isn't it? Uh, but by segmenting down to the device level, so in this case, in our case, a propulsion system, there aren't really that many commands that you need to learn, and patterns are going to be reasonably easy uh, to learn as well. And you can, as I say, you can switch it in and switch it out uh, if you need to. So there may be situations where the system hasn't learned. So behavior in a combat uh, environment may differ from normal patrol environment. And obviously, we can learn those behaviors during a drill phase or something like that. But there are also going to be examples where you might not have encountered that. That's the nice thing. If you're operating in mirror mode, that's the time to find false positives as well as genuine attacks. So you can sit in that mode. And then when you're comfortable that the system really does know what's real and what isn't, then you can actually switch into empath mode. So what are some of the challenges you've found so far that are associated with encrypting onboard systems in a vessel or in any form of non-lab environment where you you have moisture and grunge and people who maybe don't have that delicate balance that you do when you're first setting up a system? Yeah, the environment is is an important one. As you say, moisture, vibration, these are all things that systems hate. And particularly when you're plugging one device into another, it's potentially an issue that's going to emerge over time. Another good thing about the systems involved in Orthos is the, that they can be deployed across just about any kind of physical infrastructure. They they can actually run in a, in a virtual way, so we can actually be part of uh, other systems on board ship. We don't necessarily need to have individual devices for our benefit. But assuming we do, we can um, load that capability onto military spec uh, devices so that we can counteract the vibration or uh, temperature or moisture, whatever it may be. And you might think, I mean, if you're thinking of vehicles, perhaps that might be deployed in, in the desert, then uh, you might have, you might have temperature and, uh, and sand issues in that phase. So, so it's physically, uh, as well as cryptographically, it's a very flexible system. Uh, this, all this system might be, might be great, but if it's a commitment now to actually have someone on board the ship or three people probably on board a ship who know how to run the system because you've got a, a rotor in people to monitor it, uh, it becomes not only potentially an overhead, it also becomes uh, a distraction. If you're in a combat situation, you don't really want somebody fussing around whether a red light on the on the panel is real or not. So to my mind, this ability to offload that functionality to a secure operating center, which could be on an auxiliary ship, which could be on the on the shore even, that seems to me to be a, a benefit in the real operation of the system. So moving on to, we mentioned AI, uh, with Zof, there's also quantum technology being applied to encryption and the general look for the world of secured communications between vessels and aircraft and shore and so on, and also within the systems on board the vessel. How do you see all this impacting that environment? 
both in the next two to five years, but also beyond five to ten years out? Yeah, I mean, it, the world isn't getting any, any simpler, is it? Um, yeah. The degree of complexity that everyone is faced with uh, is startling. And yes, we're, we're all faced with significant concerns about both AI and what quantum computers are, are able to achieve. And, and they're kind of two parts of the same, the same issue, aren't they? That no matter what we try and do, there will be something coming along that is able to undo what we've attempted. And I think all we can do is, is respond in the best way that we possibly can. So quantum computers are not a threat yet, certainly not for short-term secret systems like onboard vessels and so forth. That quantum computers, I guess, are more of a threat for your long-term defense uh, secrets that you might have on shore and obviously your long-term data. AI is a different kind of threat. And, and as I say that, I, I'm realizing that quantum computers are also part of that threat. Uh, and that's because they can perhaps run scenarios very, very quickly. So actually taking the enemy by surprise uh, is going to be <laughs> quite difficult in the future because there are going to be very capable artificial systems, quantum computing techniques that will enable the defenders to analyze and respond to your attacking behaviors. So it's going to be, it's going to be a challenge. Uh, whether the challenge for encryption particularly changes that much, I'm not so sure. I still think that being able to maintain confidentiality in your communications, that's still going to be, is still obviously going to be important, but it's still going to be done in pretty much the same way that you have to have a, a way of disguising the traffic between control and destination that doesn't lend itself to be easily decrypted or intercepted. The work that you've done, because that, that question I've got on AI quantum leads into cyber quantum hypersonics and mm. aka pillar two of AUKUS. Is Senatus having much to do with the AUKUS environment at this point, being in the UK and working, I'm guessing, with the Royal Navy? Yes, yeah, so we're working through other parts of the the MOD rather than with the Royal Navy directly. And certainly we're trying to engage with other partners who are involved in this work as well. Yeah, I mean, AUKUS Pillar 2, it's interesting. I mean, as we, we said, I mean, there's still, I think, a lot more facets to this than encryption. And certainly we're able to provide very relevant encryption solutions to defence. And, and that's been one of our key markets. Uh, over over many years, so Senus has has added quantum resilient algorithms to the portfolio. Has continued to make systems that are compatible with quantum key distribution, and has embedded quantum random noise generation in devices. So we're very much aware of the concern around quantum computing. Hypersonics is quite an interesting one, I think, because the challenge there is very much depends on your posture, I, I think. So from a, an aggressive posture from a, the attacker is really trying to make sure all their uh, missiles or their hypersonic weapons can get through without being detected, without being prevented. Whereas the defense posture, the, the level required is perhaps somewhat lower. You don't need to be able to take control of the hypersonic 
device. You don't need to be able to decrypt the communications to it. You've got the conventional way of um, bringing it down. But Mm -hmm. all you really need to do is be able to disrupt communications. And it seems to me that perhaps going forward, actually hiding your whole communication, if you have an attacking posture, then uh, that's going to be a a really important thing for the success of your operations. So I wonder if we're going to start to see sort of instead of one communication stream to a device, you you see 100 or 1,000 communication Mm. streams uh, and no one knows which is the real one and what they need to do to actually defeat that communication. But as I said at the beginning, it's it's only going to get more complicated, the communication methods, the different options that AI and quantum computers give us will make the military space, I think, a very challenging one. I think it's interesting if we look at the the current conflict in Ukraine, it it does seem that defence is easier than attack. Everyone's having to Mm. send sort of like 100 drones for one or two to get through. And I think that is indicative of the way that uh, the the bar is lower in defence. The bar bar is lower, it seems to me at the moment. Obviously, people hopefully want to avoid uh, nuclear conflict. So Mm. we are faced with perhaps a a conventional style conflict, but um, trying to make use of mod technology. As they say, where where there's a challenge, there's also opportunity. So uh, any parting words on your views on opportunities for Australia's defence industry and sovereign cybersecurity capabilities based on what you've seen to date? Well, I mean, I think the opportunities are regrettably in some ways are huge. Undoubtedly, Australia needs to to develop further its sovereign defence capability, as does every every country. I think what something I've highlighted for a number of years is that you don't know who your friends are going to be (laughs) tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So it's a very challenging world because you really can't depend on on, uh, systems that have been developed in a in a mutual way. But we're operating in very much a global market and it's unreasonable for any country and particularly ones with relatively small defence budgets to actually do ground up component development for so that every single component within a uh, defence solution is Australian, is English, is is whatever. The world is is a small place these days uh, and I think we need to we need to have a level of honesty about how how sovereign I think our devices can be. Yes, we need to maintain that uniqueness or that uh, those particular elements for our uh, our nation states, but we also have to recognise that we're going to have to use we're going to have to use Chinese components. We're going to have to use American systems. It's not reasonable for every country to go off and and develop their own their own solutions. So I think I think that we need to be realistic, but we also need to be smart because. Yeah, the world is an uncertain place, unfortunately, and we need to be able to protect our citizens and our systems. Well, I think that's a great point to uh, wrap this one up. Uh, Graham, thank you very much for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Grant. And of course, thanks to everyone for listening once again. And don't forget, if you enjoyed this episode, you can like us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice as this helps others discover our show. Meanwhile, thanks for tuning in and we'll be back in the not too distant future with another informative episode. 
The ADM podcast is produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of Australian Defence Magazine, a Yaffa media title. The views of the people appearing on this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of Australian Defence Magazine, the Department of Defence or the guest's employer. If you wish to use any of the audio in this podcast, please contact Australian Defence Magazine via their website, australiandefence.com.au or via email at defmag at yaffa.com.au. You've been listening to a Yaffa Media Podcast. Southern Skies Media.